The, the thing that natural selection cares about more than anything else is um, replication through the generations. And this can lead to some very um, difficult and, and painful uh, consequences. I mean, pain itself is not something pleasant, but it's something which evolved to direct us. I'm Adam Hunt, and this is the Evolving Psychiatry Podcast, rethinking mental health through an evolutionary lens. Share it with the people who matter, like it if you like it, subscribe if you want to hear more. So what is evolutionary psychiatry? The name sort of implies, I think, a lot, and maybe you instantly get an idea. Um, evolutionary psychiatry is basically the application of evolutionary thinking to understand the conditions that we think about in psychiatry. So all sorts of mental disorders or mental illnesses, um, whatever word you like to call them, um, mental health in general, evolutionary psychiatry just thinks about all of these conditions through an evolutionary lens. Uh, and the Evolving Psychiatry podcast is meant to be a place to collect uh, all of the various ideas and concepts and many of the thinkers in evolutionary psychiatry and provide them in a kind of easily accessible um, public-facing uh, way because so a bit of a bit of history about about me here I'm I'm a PhD in Zurich at the moment I've been working on evolutionary psychiatry for about six years I got really interested in the subject after my master's um, but at the time there were no real resources um, dedicated to the field and I sort of had to do things by myself for a long time and this hopefully will be the resource that I would have liked five or six years ago when I was really getting into this field because I think there's a lot of interesting ideas here there's a lot of potential for us to better understand mental health conditions but people aren't really thinking about this in mainstream psychiatry I certainly had never really heard about evolutionary thinking being applied to mental health conditions um, before I really did some deep digging so to kick off this podcast, after this introductory episode, where I'm just going to run through a couple of the key concepts, just introduce you to what evolutionary psychiatry is and the things we think about, then uh, after that, we've got 20 chapters um, in a book, which is about to be released, is released yeah, in the coming weeks, actually, each of them on a specific topic in evolutionary psychiatry. Uh, this is a book published by Cambridge University Press in association with the Royal College of Psychiatrists, Evolutionary Psychiatry Special Interest Group which I'm um, a part of, and I've interviewed each of the authors of each of those chapters to give a kind of uh, an initial 20-episode chunk of uh, the key concepts from evolutionary psychiatry from leading thinkers around the world. So that's the sort of way to start. I'm going to start this podcast, uh, and then we'll, we'll see where I take it from there. Um, but anything that seems interesting to me and any new papers that come out, new conditions that I, um, I think are interesting to mention, then I'll be kind of continuing to make episodes on those. So just to run through some of the key concepts in evolutionary psychiatry, uh, the, the things that evolutionary psychiatrists think about uh, are not so much brain states and brain chemicals uh, or, or specific environmental factors or trauma um, those are the sorts of things that we think about a lot in modern mainstream psychiatry. Evolutionary psychiatry thinks about the ultimate explanation for these things. So like, why is it that these chemicals exist? Um, why is it that certain brain states 
um, lead to mental disorder? And why is it that humans should have those brain states at all? It's sort of a mystery. Why is it possible for humans to, and, and likely, in fact, for, for humans to enter states that we call mental disorders? Uh, why hasn't evolution prevented all of this? You know, evolution is meant to make us healthy and happy and successful, theoretically. Um, so why has it left us so vulnerable to these various um, various traits and, and states of emotion which are uh, so so harmful to us? So one of the key concepts is something called mismatch, which I'm sure that everyone will be very kind of intuitively familiar with because the concept of mismatch is just about how modern environments are uh, very unusual for our, us as kind of evolved animals. The way we're living today is very clearly completely different to how we lived in the past. Um, you know, it's very obvious in this particular situation because I'm sitting in a room talking to myself, actually, and you're probably sitting in a room not talking to anyone. Um, but it feels like there's a connection there to you. You think a person is talking to you or looking at you and and we, we, we form connections uh, without actually being together. This is one very clear example of where the uh, modern technology is providing a very new experience for us. And obviously, you can see these things in all of our lives. Um, you know, smartphones and the internet era have really brought out this uh, ability for technology to sort of play with our natural instincts uh, and, and, you know, to, to play with the, the dopamine response um, to make us kind of addicted to our phones uh, you know, there's obviously some kind of, there's wide acknowledgement in the culture that this is a problem um, and something that's very novel and something that we should be thinking about. Evolutionary psychiatry thinks about these things as mismatch. Um, this concept of mismatch is very important because it's it's one of the ways to explain why um, we might be particularly vulnerable to mental disorders that our ancestors would not have. Um, you know, it, we're, we're not sure really, and we'll come on to this in some later episodes, and we're not exactly sure how many of our hunter-gatherer ancestors who kind of lived in this hunting and gathering way of life for hundreds of thousands of years, um, we can't be exactly sure how many mental disorders they developed, um, but it certainly seems that there are some conditions which are uh, really exaggerated in our own society. And then obviously this leads to possibilities for thinking about um, prevention and treatment. So that concept of mismatch is something really important. I think it's something that evolutionary approaches kind of uniquely bring. Uh, another concept which is quite troubling is this one of um, reproductive success over health. So I kind of said earlier that we might think that evolution is meant to make us happy and healthy. That's actually not true. Um, natural selection is pretty brutal. Uh, and you might have heard of statements like survival of the fittest, um, that's actually only true if you take fitness to be um, reproductive success. So it's, it's, not, it's like not, not fit and healthy in the sense that you might think someone is fit because they do lots of exercise. The, the thing that natural selection cares about more than anything else is um, replication through the generations. And this can lead to some very um, difficult and, and painful uh, consequences. I mean, pain itself is not something pleasant, but it's something which evolved to direct us. And the ancestors that we had who felt pain in certain amounts, in certain times, uh, were more successful. They passed on those genes which made them um, able to feel pain in that way. They passed on those genes uh, more successfully than the people who 
um, who didn't have those genes. And over time, certain kinds of suffering actually do get selected. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's not the case that just because something makes you feel bad or angry or um, sad or uh, violent or upset or, or depressed, it's not the case that just because these things are extremely bad um, in, a, in many situations in modern life, um, it's not the case that those are necessarily diseases just because we think they are bad and we think they're something that we need to cure. It's entirely possible for natural selection to force us into um, very subjectively painful states and also outwardly um, destructive states because it was at one point a successful strategy to adopt. And there are some interesting things to think about there as to how much, um, how much control we really have over our minds. Um, and that will come, on, uh, come up in some of the episodes. And then another concept which I think is important to mention is um, thinking about what, what it means when we say a mind is dysfunctioning or someone is sick. So this is something that evolutionary approaches do kind of differently because in an evolutionary approach, you can really think about um, historical evolutionary function. Most of the time today, the way that we decide who is sick and who is not is just like a social value. It's a normative process. We, we pick out people who we think are suffering. Um, usually there's something sort of biological going on there that we see as associated with their suffering. Uh, and we say that 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 biological state which is causing suffering is a disease, it's a sickness. Um, there's usually some kind of something to note biologically, but it's, it's only because it's causing suffering that we really call it a disease, which is why we don't call things like freckles a disease, um, even though they're not uh, necessarily something which is it's good for you. Um, and similarly for emotions and, and states of mind, uh, we, we tend to pick out the... Uh, the, the thinking, the cognition, which is har har harming people and that we believe needs therapy. And we say, okay, well, this thing is a mental disease or a mental disorder. Uh, and that's really how psychiatric diagnoses come to be. It's when a group of psychiatrists notice that the, um, a certain amount of people are coming into their clinic who report somewhat similar symptoms. And then every now and again, psychiatrists get together. They say, okay, we're seeing... You know, a lot of people who have these feelings of emptiness and suicidality and difficulty sleeping, um, there seems to be some underlying illness here, and we're going to call it depression. Uh, and that's just a very brief way of, a, a very crude way of kind of understanding what a disease is. Um, but of course, that's not really getting down to whether there's something biological about the dysfunction. It's really thinking about what we believe we should treat or not. And evolutionary approaches sort of uniquely put this idea of function and dysfunction in a historical perspective. They ask, well, is this something that would have improved an individual's reproductive success? Is it something that uh, would have um, helped them or their kin survive? Uh, there is this historical element to an evolutionary approach to function and dysfunction, um, which gets, up, gets us away from the the reliance on cultural norms. And psychiatry especially has been very vulnerable to certain cultural norms, completely guiding our ideas of whether a mental state is a disease or not. Um, so for instance, uh, homosexuality is widely believed to not be a disease in most Western countries now. Still probably the majority of the world, the majority of the world's population will see 
homosexuality as some kind of um, blight. But suddenly in the West, in the last 30 or 40 years, um, oh, about 50 years, it's been, it's been steadily changing, um, we've decided that, okay, this, this state of mind is actually not harmful, so it's not a disease. Um, obviously, nothing's really changed there in terms of how homosexuals, how homosexuality manifests or assumably what kind of brain states are associated with being homosexual. Um, there's nothing biological that's changed. It's just that society has changed its views as to whether we should call this thing a disease and whether it needs to be treated. Uh, and evolutionary psychiatry gives us an opportunity to think about these things beyond the, the simple normative um, social constructivist way and and to think about um, yeah, the the biological and historical forces which led to a particular mental state. And so it kind of reframes function and dysfunction in that sense. So the sorts of um, disorders that we'll be thinking about are plentiful. I mean, an evolutionary analysis can be applied to basically any state of mind, uh, any, any healthy or unhealthy um, trait or state or condition. Uh, you know, our our bodies and brains evolved uh, that's that's a fact and to some extent then uh, to explain any kind of state of the the body or mind you need to reference an evolutionary explanation at some point now of course and this is something to be wary of this doesn't mean that every state is going to be an adaptation uh, and this is something that a lot of people fall into is thinking that oh okay well if we evolved um, then all of my emotions and my uh, my differences are therefore kind of um, are beneficial somehow or would have served my ancestors well that's not necessarily true and a lot of the time that isn't true you know evolution is not perfect um we have extremes of traits which are not that useful nowadays we have emotions um which can kind of get over activated because of modern society and mismatch for instance um but there's no there's no mental state where you know the the mind that you're thinking about did not in some way evolve. So I think you can always apply an evolutionary analysis, um, but you you won't necessarily end up with an explanation of, oh, my ancestors would have been better off because they were thinking in this way. Um, it's often a bit more nuanced than that, and we have to kind of understand uh, the things that go wrong uh, as well as the things which are going right and we might be perceiving as going wrong. So that's one to think, to think about. Um, and there's, yeah, I mean, you can think about the whole spectrum of uh, conditions, um, you could broadly think about traits like individual differences, like autism and ADHD, or um, or, or sort of personality traits, and, and personality traits which might lead to success or, um, or or less success in the modern world. You can also think about emotions and and um, what we call like state-like disorders, like depression and anxiety, which a lot of people experience but which come and go. Uh, of course, there are there are conditions like ADHD, which are which seem very obviously um, picked up because of modern, specific modern circumstances like classrooms. Uh, none of our ancestors, uh, none of our ancestors, ever had to sit down and sit in a classroom for, you know, seven hours a day or whatever it is in your um, particular uh, country. Um, but this is a very alien thing for children to do. Frankly, it's bizarre, but any children can do it. Um, but you can see why certain conditions, like perhaps ADHD, um, could be um, particularly ill-suited to a lot of the demands of modern life and the circumstances of modern life. Um, we'll talk a lot about conditions like depression and anxiety because they're so common. Uh, a lot of my PhD research f focuses on autism, so I'll talk about that a bit. 
and then all sorts of other disorders. You know, I'll, I'll hopefully be able to cover um, most of the classic um, diagnostic categories uh, in, in the various episodes of this podcast. Um, so the way that I'm going about this at first is I'm going to interview 20 experts, um, leading experts in the approaches and conditions which uh, we're, we're thinking about. Um, I'm also hopefully going to have a few anthropologists on. I think anthropologists are um, particularly interesting because they have a real insight into how humans lived before uh, our sort of weird modern lives. Uh, my PhD supervisor is, an actually, an, is actually an evolutionary anthropologist, um, so I'm quite well connected with anthropologists and I know quite a bit about anthropology. Uh, and sometimes we have um, assumptions about how people live, which are not particularly true. You know, the, the classic thing is um, thinking that we, uh, that humans are, were always running away from lions and that we were predated a lot. And that's been like a really strong evolutionary pressure. Um, but that's, that's simply not true. Uh, you know, the, the Hadza women um, actually chase away lions from, from prey that they've killed by, by beating sticks and running at them. Uh, and Hadza women are hunter-gatherers. Um, you know, it's predation is not really a big a big thing for humans, or it hasn't been for at least a couple of hundred thousand years. Um, much more important are um, social environments. You know, other humans are much more dangerous to you than than lions are. So, and and some of those kind of explanations can lead to thinking about social anxiety and why it is that we care so much and our minds are so occupied by thinking about how people think of us and and um, and you know things like relationships. Um, aggressive encounters, uh, gossip. There's so much of our psychology which has kind of evolved to be a social creature. And I think that, um, you know, many psychiatric conditions will be more closely linked to that than to uh, to running away from lions or hunting mammoths or um, whatever it is that you may have in, as the, the picture in your mind of uh, traditional human life. Uh, and we'll also be kind of thinking about evidence from all sorts of areas. I think that one of the approach one of the joys of evolutionary psychiatry is that it really brings together lots of evidence. Um, so what we're trying to do as evolutionary psychiatrists is make sense of, um, of what we see in front of us in terms of um, brain states and genetics, uh, in terms of global distributions of mental disorders, why it is that certain, um, certain individuals from certain demographics may experience more of a certain mental disorder. There's a lot of evidence out there that I think an evolutionary approach really needs to make sense of. And one of the reasons I got so interested in the field is because it's a, it's a kind of, it's an overarching framework which can try and, try and put all these pieces together. And that's also something I'm working on in my PhD, and I guess I'll do an episode on some of the, um, some of the work I'm doing at some point later in the, in the series. Um, so yeah, that's, that's about it for now. I'm just going to leave you with the, the remaining 20 episodes. Um, and and we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, I hope you enjoy. I encourage you to reach out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Real Adam Hunt. Um, and yeah, I hope that, like me, you find this an interesting and kind of uh, revelatory way to think about mental health. Um, I, I think that, you know, this is obviously a huge problem for society. Um, we have had really quite a failure of a paradigm for the last 50 or so years. We've been hunting brain diseases endlessly. Um, billions and billions of dollars have been spent on 
trying to find the specific brain state which is causing the mental illness. And I think that's just not the right way to look at it. And an evolutionary approach is the, the way for us to to start um, really putting mental health in the context of the human story and also just Im- improve our improve our science, uh, improve our understanding of, you know, what is a disease and what is um, a, a sort of uh, a, a normal emotion that's that's harming us. Um, it, for, for now, we're just thinking about explanations. But in the end, I really do believe that we can we can find ways to improve people's lives. Um, you know, these are questions. These are conditions that touch all of us in so many ways at so many points in our life. Uh, and I think that evolutionary psychiatry is really the way that the world needs to start thinking about um, mental health. So, so with that, I hope you'll join me on this journey. Uh, I look forward to spending it with you and interacting with you in, in whatever way we do. So thank you. <laughs>